Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a few years ago in the year 2020, the sale of jigsaw puzzles skyrocketed. Why is that? Well, uh, people were spending more time at home and they were looking for alternate forms of entertainment. I'm not sure if you're a puzzler at all, but you've probably done at least one puzzle before. And even if you've only done one puzzle in your life, you know there's one piece that everyone wants to put into place. The last one. Putting the last puzzle piece into place has caused probably countless squabbles between siblings and maybe even between married couples. This is because inserting the last piece of the puzzle is the most satisfying. It brings the entire puzzling experience to completion. And once it's in, you can now step back and enjoy what you've accomplished. And the worst thing that can happen is that you get to the end only to to discover that there's only one piece missing. Let me tell you, that's awful. It's not just about that one individual piece. It's about the entire puzzle. Missing that last piece ruins the entire thing. It's incomplete, unsatisfying even aggravating. Now, if that's how strongly we can feel about something so insignificant as a jigsaw puzzle, imagine how much more seriously God takes bringing his children to completion. No, that's not to say that we are puzzles God is working on, but God is at work in us, at work in our lives. And he's working to bring his children to perfection. This is something he desires for us more than anything. And he's so intent on making us perfect, he will not stop until eventually we reach that goal and that eventually we'll be, uh, we will be made perfect in eternal life. And this is something our text from James focuses on also. It talks about how we will, be brought, we will be made perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And this is what God wants for his children. This is where the Lord is bringing us. And our text shows us how intent God is on making us complete, on becoming everything that God wants his children to be. And as we hope to see from our text this morning, we see that There are two ways also that God brings us to perfection and completion. One of them is that God uses trials, and another thing is that he uses our prayers to bring us there. So that brings us to the sermon theme this morning, which is this. God desires his children to become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We have two points in this uh, connected to that theme. We'll see how, first of all, God uses trials to bring us to perfection And secondly, how the path to perfection is paved with prayer. Now, if you like to read stories or novels, you'll know there's a wide range of plot development. Some books start off rather slowly, taking time to develop the story. Other books start with a bang, dropping you right into the thick of the action. Well, the human authors of the different Bible books had their own writing styles as well. Yes, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but their human tendencies 
also reveal themselves in the text of Scripture. Some epistles begin with a longer list of greetings and introductory remarks. Others jump straight to the main message. And the book of James is like that. But perhaps even more so than any other epistle. Listen to this stunning statement that James, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, makes right off the bat. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, that's quite a bold way to open up your letter. Imagine reading this for the first time. You receive this letter from one of the apostles, and this is one of the first things you read. It certainly grabs your attention. And trials here refers to troubles and difficulties and, and hard things in life. Situations that test your faith. Now, why does the Holy Spirit, through James, say this? How could James possibly write this? Count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Now, I don't know about you, but that's certainly not my natural reaction to going through difficult things. Well, the answer is not that we rejoice in the trial itself, as if we enjoyed suffering somehow. Rather, the rejoicing is a result of what God does with the trials and through the trials. We have to listen to understand the, the logic of God's Word here in this text. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces perseverance, the ability to endure to the end of the Christian life. It produces patient waiting for God to fulfill His promises. It produces the capacity to, to continue on in the Christian life in the face of difficulty. You see, when we go through trials and difficulties, God is using them to sculpt us, to shape us, to, to purify us. He's working to bring us to, perf to perfection. Listen only to verse 4. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's something also First Peter touched on as well. In this you rejoice, in this salvation you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, one reason trials are so hard is that they profoundly affect our lives in the here and now. We all have plans for our lives. We all have hopes and desires for the future that we long to be fulfilled. And trials and difficulties so often can 
can dash those, those hopes and desires. And when that happens, we might be left with nothing but questions. Now, why would God do that? Why would he bring such pain into my life? My plans and desires were not evil. That may be certainly true. But our text encourages us, it calls us to take a different perspective on them. The Lord has his eye on something else, on a much more long-term goal. He's working to bring us to perfection. And that's one purpose, can be more, one purpose of the difficulties he sends. Our text is saying he's not unmercifully afflicting his children. He's not heartlessly bringing pain into your life. He looks down on us in compassion even as he sends us difficulties. But even though it hurts right now, our Father still sends them. He does that because it's crucial that we walk this path, going through this process of being purified, of being made complete. That's the most important thing we need. Trials help to remove impurities from our faith and in our hearts. They produce in us steadfastness or endurance in the Christian life. And this endurance allows us to await for God to fulfill His promises of eternal life in Jesus Christ, and one day they will be fulfilled. We will have them, and then our faith will become sight. To help us understand uh, this, this whole matter, this whole process, uh, we can make uh, analogies to other things in life. I'm sure many of you have done gardening in the last number of weeks, maybe planting flowers or vegetables, you name it. And if you start your plants inside using seeds, you might put them in a sunny windowsill. But you can't just take those little seedlings one day and plunk them outside and leave them there. If you do, they're going to die. They're not at the point where they can handle the direct sunlight or the howling wind. Instead, the young seedlings need to go through a process called hardening off. The plants get exposed slowly but surely to the elements, and this toughens them up. Going through this process allows them eventually to withstand the piercing light of the sun all day and to not get shredded by the wind. When the process is complete, the plants can now flourish outside and grow to their full potential. As another example, there's the process um, of tempering steel or heat-treating steel. I might get some of the details wrong, but that's okay. This process of tempering steel makes the steel tougher so that it can be used for things like tools. Intense heat is applied to steel, and then it's quenched, and then a further heating and cooling in a controlled fashion is applied to the steel so that it can withstand a lot more shock. If a person took a piece of steel and shaped it into a chisel without tempering it, the steel chisel would be quickly blunted at the first hit on some other metal. 
But after tempering the steel, the chisel can now smash a lot of things without getting damaged. The heat treatment might be intense, but it makes for a better tool in the end. And this is the sort of thing God is doing as he applies the intensity of trials in our lives. Listen again to our text. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance, patience, the ability to keep going in faith to the end. Now, perhaps we can understand this intellectually in our brains, but that doesn't mean it's easy to get this into our hearts, especially if you're going through a trial right now. After all, we are not plants, and we're certainly not chisels. We're people, and suffering hurts. So to help us here, we should see even more why God sends trials into our lives to bring us to perfection. You see, suffering came into the world through human sin. If we did not sin against God, we would not face things like sickness or death. But here's the thing our text is telling us. God is using that same suffering, the suffering brought into the world by sin, to remove sin from our lives. And the removal of sin in our lives is a process that ends in perfection. And in eternal life, suffering will be completely removed because sin will be completely removed. And that reality means the following statement is true. God is using suffering in our lives to remove suffering in our lives. And eventually to remove it for good. Well, that might sound completely contradictory, using suffering to remove suffering. But the suffering is used by God also to bring us to perfection, to work in us patient endurance. And the removal of impurities, the building of patient endurance, is a process God is using to bring us to perfection and thus also, at the end of all things, remove all suffering. So God is using suffering to remove suffering in our lives. And so this truth calls us to change our perspective on our trials. This is why our text can say, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. No, he's not telling us that we have to feel joyful when we are going through hard things. No, we, we can mourn. We can cry out to God. He's telling us on what, what kind of perspective we can have. That we can rejoice even in the suffering. Even if we don't necessarily feel joyful. Right? It doesn't mean that we're happy about the suffering itself, but that we know what it is producing in us and what God is doing in us by it. That's why one translation paraphrases the words of our text as follows. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
And we can. We can do this because of God's promises. Our text says, consider it all joy. It's not as if there's just a small silver lining in the dark moment. But God is using the entire trial entirely for our good. That's why our text also instructs us the way it does. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So let perseverance have its full effect. Endurance produce its desired result. That is to say, let us patiently wait for God to work these things in us, perfection, steadfastness, as we go through trials. I know our timing is not the same as God's. God brings these things into our lives where maybe sometimes we were not expecting it at all. And God sometimes lets the trial go, go on. We would rather be past it a long time ago. But God is a perfectly wise Father. He sees all things. He knows us through and through. And He knows what he, we need. As He works in our lives, He knows what He's doing. He sees the end goal. He, he knows exactly just what to do to bring us to the goal of perfection. He's like a master sculptor. He gives us exactly what we need in this life. So again, this means we can patiently wait for God to do His work, even as we call out to Him. You can follow the words of 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, His time, He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. To humble yourself under God's hand is to patiently wait for God to do his work. Remember what it says here God cares for you, even as you go through the midst of trials. He knows it is painful. And so he says, cast all your anxieties upon me. I care for you. Throw them onto my lap. Let me take them upon my shoulders. Pray to me. Not only does he call us to pray in order to cast our anxieties upon him, he calls us to pray also to guide us further in this path to perfection. That brings us to our second point. So we see here that God uses trials to bring us to perfection, but that's not the only means God uses. Our text touches on another important means, the means of prayer. Now look at the transition between the first part of our text and the the second part. The two halves are joined together by uh, the word lacking or lack. Verse 4 says, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's the goal, lacking nothing. But then notice verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. 
right? None of us have yet reached perfection. And if you think you've reached perfection, it's a sure sign you have a ways to go. The Lord not only works to perfect us through trials, but He's telling us here to actively pursue it. To seek perfection, to seek it from God, to do it through prayer. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Notice that our text specifically mentions wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, it says. Now, why is wisdom mentioned specifically? Well, there might be a couple of reasons for this. Firstly, the book of James is a book of wisdom for New Testament Christians. This is one of the themes of this letter, wisdom from God. James was probably one of the earliest books written of the New Testament books, probably even before the Gospels were written. And James, in in these pages of his letter, was most likely meditating on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So many themes from that sermon come back in this letter. And so it's so important for us to get wisdom, wisdom from Christ, wisdom from God's Word. And of course, New Testament wisdom is the same as Old Testament wisdom. At its heart is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is to shun evil, to pursue righteousness and holiness. And we see that emphasized throughout the book of James. The Spirit through James calls us to be doers of God's Word to hate what is evil, to learn to control our tongues. These are all themes that keep popping up in the book of Proverbs, the Old Testament book of wisdom. Here James is explaining wisdom for us today, too, and even more. So that might be the first reason why wisdom is mentioned specifically. The second reason wisdom may be mentioned specifically is because of the connection between wisdom and suffering through trials. Right, going through trials can bring a lot of questions arising out of our hearts. You know, and sometimes we might just think, you know, God's ways sometimes just don't seem to, to add up, to, to make any sense. That's how it can be for us as finite creatures. And what's the real issue in that? Well, the problem, or the reality is, when that happens, is not that we are smarter than God. It's that we lack wisdom as we go through suffering. This is something Job experienced in the Old Testament. He had all sorts of bad things happen to him, and it didn't seem to make one ounce of sense. From all angles, it seemed like God was out to get him. This, in fact, was what Job's three friends were saying. They were convinced that Job had done something terribly wrong and God was punishing him. But as we read through the book of Job and see their interactions with each other, we see that they all lacked wisdom. None of them could fully understand God's ways. And so when the Lord spoke to them out of the whirlwind, he questioned Job specifically Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Surely you know. He questioned Job at length about these things. 
Job had to admit he couldn't explain all these in complicated, intricate uh, process, uh, processes in, in creation. And if he couldn't explain those things, how could he question God's wisdom in other things? At the end of the day, Job had to cover his mouth and trust, trust in God's almighty, all-wise counsel. And we see that eventually the Lord worked it all for Job's good. And the irony is, we need, to say, we need the wisdom to say, God is much wiser than I am. The person who can rest in God's wisdom has grown wise himself or herself. Of course, this doesn't come naturally to us. Our old self wants to privately say we know better than God. And that's also why we need to pray. Pray for God to give us wisdom. And notice what our text says about God's willingness to give wisdom. Here it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Right? This is, remember our sermon theme, this is God's desire for his children, that we would become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And so, this means God is also eager to give us wisdom when we ask Him for it. He gives generously. He doesn't grudgingly give us wisdom with His teeth clenched. No, He loves His children. Wants, him to, get, wants to give them wisdom. But he also wants us to keep calling out for it as well. It says here, he gives generously to all without reproach. So that means he's not going to scold you for your present lack of wisdom and when we pray for it. He doesn't mock us in any way for not being perfect yet. He doesn't heap insults on us as a way to shame us for our lack of wisdom. It's not out to fault find. No, he is... He is lovingly going to give us it. Look at the confidence God's word gives us here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and it will be given him. This is what the Lord Jesus was teaching us on the Sermon on the Mount, to ask, seek, and knock. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. For everyone who asks receives, to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And ultimately, we can have this confidence before God because of who God is through Jesus Christ. He's become our, our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin and rebellion is the reason we aren't perfect yet, but Jesus Christ is perfect. God's own Son fulfilled all righteousness. And it's through God's Son that we've been adopted by God Himself. It's through prayer that we call upon our Father. That's what we read from First uh, Peter as well. If you call on, on God, a, a Father. Right? We call on God as our Father. We are His children in Jesus Christ. 
And he wants to give his children good gifts. So by, my, by all means, ask him for them. So Lord Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven good give, thing, good, give good things to those who ask him? And because this is a reality, this is also why our text ends in the way it does. There it says, But let him who asks, ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, God's promises are dependable because God is dependable. What he says, he will do. And so he doesn't want us waffling back and forth, thinking to ourselves, oh, who knows if God is going to give me wisdom. He may, but I kind of doubt it. I'm just too sinful for him to answer me. You never know what he's going to do. No. That's not the way. God has become our Father in Jesus Christ. And even though our faith is not yet perfect, we can still ask God in faith. So we say, These are your own promises, Lord, written in your word. And so now I'm going to act on them by asking for these very things. Trust, beloved. Pray. Keep on praying. Seek wisdom from God's hand, and he will give it to us on the road to perfection. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing Psalm 139, the stanzas 1, 9, and 13. <clears throat> 